Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who looks upon human disorientation, human disturbance, human anxiety with great compassion. Lord, you are the God who provides uh, supernatural comfort to us, who gives us a peace that is not as the world gives, but a peace that comes from the risen Christ, from the Holy Spirit. And we trust you in faith that you can do this in our lives and our situations, no matter what we face. Lord God, but more than that, you are the God who gives us resources that you describe in your word in the battle against a very powerful and very determined adversary. And I pray, Lord, as we open your word now and look at those resources together, that your spirit would come, help us to be alert to your word, minister to our hearts and to our minds, bolster us in faith, give us encouragement where we need that. Lord God, do your work amongst us now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There was that very dramatic moment when Samuel, if we remember the story, he took his horn of oil and he anointed young David in front of David's brothers. What a great moment that was. 1 Samuel 16, 13 tells us that from that very day forward, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. It's the words in the text. So now David had special empowerment. David had special enablement from God's spirit. The spirit lived with David. And in the chapter of scripture that follows that great moment, David, empowered by the Holy Spirit, did what? He defeated fearsome Goliath. But listen, friends, what, what followed next for chapter after chapter after chapter was that David, still empowered by the Spirit, still indwelt by the Spirit, David experienced nothing but trouble. There were attempts on Spirit-empowered David's life. And spirit indwelt David ended up as a fugitive, running for his life. Spirit blessed David, ended up hungry at times. And he found himself in a variety of dangers. Spirit filled, spirit empowered David, in trouble, in danger, fighting for survival. And wasn't the pattern exactly the same for the greater David, Jesus Christ our Lord? In Matthew 3.16, the Spirit of God descended very powerfully like a dove and rested on Jesus in that very dramatic moment of his baptism. Jesus, empowered by, filled with, enabled in, a very unique and special way, special measure by the Spirit of the Lord. But then, what was it that followed immediately after that for Spirit endowed Jesus in Matthew chapter 4? Well, 
If we read the story, we know he traveled into the wilderness to be severely tempted by the devil. And we notice in both cases, in the case of David and in the case of the greater David, Jesus, the spirit comes and trouble follows. It was Dale Ralph Davis who pointed out this very noteworthy pattern to me. And friends, guess what? If you are a servant and follower of Jesus Christ, you are not above your master. Yes? Why should the pattern be different for you and different for me? Doesn't Acts 14.22 promise us that the path into the kingdom of God is marked by many tribulations? I want you to listen to the very wise words of Dale Ralph Davis here, who says this to us, I'm quoting him. No sooner are we brought into subjection to Jesus than we are swamped in trouble. There may seem no end to the pressures, no relief from the pounding we seem to be taking. But if we remember David and his descendant, Jesus, we begin to understand that this conflict is not a sign of our sin, but a mark of our sonship or daughtership. That we are under not God's displeasure, but his discipline. He says the wilderness is not a sign of the spirit's absence, but the scene of his presence. Yes, indeed. The spirit-filled life that we live as Christian people is a life that is marked by great joy, to be sure. But the spirit-filled life that we live on this fallen planet is also a life of warfare. Yes? To live in union with the risen Jesus is to join him in battle against the now defeated, but still thrashing dragon, Beelzebul, the prince of the power of the air, Satan. There are still skirmishes and there are still very real battles that we must wage every day. And for the final two Sundays in our sermon series, we turn our attention to Ephesians 6, where we, are you a soldier of Jesus Christ this morning? Where we soldiers of Jesus Christ are informed of the great and fantastic resources that we have in this war. Amazingly, very blessedly, God supplies us, listen, with his own armor, Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. It's God's armor. And we are called to put on that armor for the fight. Well, the Apostle Paul begins this section of his letter, one of the final portions of his letter, by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, if we've read the entire letter of Ephesians, 
we will know that when Paul talks here about the believer's access to the strength of Almighty God, he's not introducing a new idea. Because in 119, Ephesians 119, he already mentioned there the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. And in 316, Paul had prayed that believers would be strengthened with power through God's spirit, strengthened with power through God's spirit. And in 3.20, Paul had mentioned the power at work within us as believers. And so 6.10 then is like a reminder to us, if we've read the whole letter, that God's strength, God's power for us as soldiers on the battlefield, this is a strength and a power that is most definitely available to us. And looking at the original Greek of this verse, the idea is this. Be strengthened continually. Be strengthened continually in the Lord. That is every second of every minute of every hour of every day, open yourself to a strength that comes to you from an external source, namely from God himself. My friends, God is willing and God is eager to supply his strength to you in your situation. Do you believe it? And soldier of Jesus Christ, to to say that you need God's strength on this battlefield is of course a great understatement. In the war against the constant barrage of Satan's temptations, his accusations, his discouragements, his oppressions, nothing other than the strength of God's might is going to help you. Very soberly and very honestly, each and every one of us needs to grasp the bottom line, which is that each of us and all of us are weak and deficient by ourselves on the battlefield. We need to come to grips with that. We must run to God every hour for his inexhaustible power and his strength. Psalm 46.1, we often read this at funeral time. God is our refuge. What's the next part? And strength, a very present help in trouble. When Joshua was preparing, and I would imagine in this situation there would be some anxiousness, he's human. When he was preparing to lead his soldiers in the conquest of Canaan, the Lord said to him three times within four verses, be strong, be strong, be strong, I am with you. And this morning, friends, the Lord is beckoning us as soldiers in 2023. He's beckoning his church to be strong in the Lord and in the strength, not of your own might, but in the strength of his might. Well, how precisely do we do this? 
How do we follow this command to be strong in the Lord? We do it, listen, by putting on the armor that God himself supplies. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. So the way that we are strong in the Lord, verse 10, is by putting on the whole armor that he gives us in verse 11. You see that connection? Last year I was walking one day uh, through a forested area that is close to our house and as I'm walking along with our dog, I smell smoke. And I come upon an area where there's a, a massive log lying on the ground that's smoldering away. And apparently what had happened was some people had been out the night before and they had a bonfire right there in the forest. It's, the fire pit was still set up there. And this log had caught fire. I don't think they put the fire out properly. And so I called the fire department, having nothing on me to put the fire out, and when they arrived, I went out and I met them on the street and I led them back to where this log was smoldering away and they put the fire out. But for this very minor fire, there was no need for these firemen to come out decked out in their full gear. They had no oxygen tanks, they had no oxygen masks, they didn't even wear helmets. Uh, of course, for a five alarm fire, a blazing house fire, like the one that was in old Montreal recently, things are very different. Fire, fire people are suited up in the whole range of their gear. Well, notice in verse 11, believer, very carefully, notice that God wants you decked out in full gear at all times. The whole armor, right? Why not just a piece or two of the armor? Why the whole armor? Well, because the simple reason is this, the devil barrages us with his attacks. We stand in a five alarm fire, so to speak. We need protection from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. And God knows this. God knows this. That's why he prescribes this here. Satan will try to get at our mind. And if he finds that our mind is armored up, he'll go for our heart. And if he can't get at our heart, he'll try another tactic and another tactic and another one. And this is why the whole impenetrable armor of God needs to cover us at all times. In 1 Peter 5.8, remember, our enemy, the devil, is described there very vividly as prowling around like a roaring lion, right? Seeking someone to devour. Now, when you're up against a roaring lion, I don't know about you, but I think for me, it would be best that I would be suited up <laughs> in the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God, says Paul. Why? Well, for a purpose. And the stated purpose as to why we cover ourselves with God's armor is right there in the text. Notice that purpose clause, that you may be able to stand 
against the schemes of the devil. Now, please notice very carefully what Paul does not say here. He does not say, notice, that you may be able to defeat the schemes of the devil. He doesn't say that, nor does he say that you may be able to kill the devil. No, our role as soldiers of Jesus Christ is not to defeat or kill the devil. That belongs to Christ alone by his cross and his resurrection. He's already won the war, yes, over the doomed devil who will one day end up in the lake of fire. Our role as soldiers of Jesus Christ is to stand against the schemes of this mortally wounded, still thrashing dragon. We are to stand wearing the full, impenetrable armor of God. We are ordered here, soldiers, to hold our position, to stand firm on the battlefield, entrenched and dug in, even as we're under fierce attack from the enemy of our souls. And standing like this is not going to be a passive thing. It's going to involve resisting the pushes and the attacks of the enemy. I really love the way Stanley Gale describes what standing means. Listen to this. He says, standing is not passive. The idea is not to stand around, but to stand firm. It is to stand, he says, like an oak against the winds of Satan's lies that would sway us, against the floods of his temptations that would sweep us away, and against the leeches of his accusations that would stick to us and deprive us of grace. It is to stand rooted and built up in Christ, strengthened in the faith. That's Stanley Gale. Now, one thing that will help you to stand soldier of Jesus Christ is if you remember this, that your angry enemy is a mortally wounded foe. As you're facing his attacks, remember that he is a mortally wounded foe. The roaring lion has had his teeth taken out by King Jesus, the greater lion of Judah. You face an enemy who's already lost the war. You need to remember that, but also be sober in the battle. Beware, like a good soldier, be aware of the enemy's tactics or what Paul calls his schemes here in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word in the original Greek is methodeia, from which we get our English word method. The devil uses methods against us, or in the King James Version, the word is translated wiles, the wiles 
of the devil. Or in the common English Bible, the word is translated tricks. The tricks of the devil. The devil, my friends, has several tricks up his sleeve. Are we aware of that? There's a whole variety of tactics that the devil likes to unleash against us. And as good soldiers, again, we are wise to be aware of the enemy's various tactics. In the sermon last Sunday, we cataloged just some of his evil strategies. What are they? Listen, the devil will use attractive bait. Oh, it looks so good. That hides a deadly hook. The devil loves to use temptation. And he loves to barrage us with accusation and oppression. Another favorite weapon of his is to raise doubts about the truth of God's word. He also loves to make evil appear good and good to appear evil. And as the father of lies, he loves all manner of lying and deceit. The devil also seeks the opportunity to gain a foothold in our lives when our anger goes unchecked or when we refuse to forgive. He's also thrilled to enslave people through sexual sin. And he'll also amplify, he'll use your pride against you. Beware. Satan loves to arrange and to promote false teaching. He loves to bind people in superstitions. He also loves to promote division in churches. He wants to obliterate your faith in God and draw you away from following Jesus Christ. He's also infamous for his attacks on families and his attacks on church leaders. Sometimes subtly, sometimes very directly. The devil also loves it when people are convinced that he's just a fable, that he's just a myth, that there is no devil. How can you think there is a devil in our enlightened 2023 world? He loves that. He also blinds the minds, scripture says, of people. Blinds the minds of people to the truth of God. He convinces people that to be truly free, they need to be free of the notion of God and religion altogether and follow the desires of their hearts. The devil also loves darkness, he loves perversity, he loves fear, he loves violence, he loves heavy oppression, he loves the persecution of the saints, he loves to seduce people into the false comfort of false teaching, and he is a fanatical cheerleader for, he is a fanner of the flames of lusts and evil desires and passions. In his crafty 
sickly way, the devil buffets us and he barrages us and he hurls darts at us and he wants to destroy us. And as John Stott once said, Satan has no moral principles. He has no code of honor. He and his demonic forces, said Stott, recognize no Geneva Convention to restrict or partially civilize the weapons of their warfare. They are utterly unscrupulous and ruthless in the pursuit of their malicious designs. My believing friend, you and I would be very wise to know the schemes, the wiles, the tactics of our enemy and to put on the whole armor of God. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that are not of this earth, in other words. Notice the first word in that verse, that word for. We could also translate that word as because. We put on the spiritual armor that God supplies because our struggle is not merely against flesh and blood human beings like you and I are. Our struggle throughout the days of our lives on this fallen planet is far deeper and far more intense than a mere human to human struggle. We are wrestling, says Paul, and that word wrestle in the original Greek suggests very close hand-to-hand combat. We are wrestling against what? Against a vast, supernatural, powerful, evil army. Do you know that? This is the word of God. Don't shoot the messenger. Against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Hence the crucial need for the armor that God supplies. Now, friends, I hope we can see that verse 12 is a precious revelation from God to us. We should be so grateful to God for giving us verse 12, because here he gives us the accurate, listen, accurate pinpoint diagnosis of our struggle. In this life, our wrestling is ultimately against powerful supernatural forces that seek to destroy us. This is the reality. And this verse reveals to us that that lurking behind, lurking behind all our human confusion, all our human division, all the injustices in this world, all the violence, all the fracture and the screeching at each other, lurking behind all of it are these satanic agents. We need to understand this. Rulers, authorities, powers, forces, this army of evil agents that exist to do Satan's bidding in this 
world. And so as believers, we are so richly blessed to have this intelligence report from our Lord in our fight. We are so privileged to have this revelation of the actual struggle that we are up against and dealing with in this life. Because you see, as Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out some 60 years ago in a sermon he preached on this passage, most people in broader society are convinced, or rather they have been deceived into thinking that our human problems, our human confusion, our human violence, our human trouble is all a purely human issue that can and must be solved on the human plane by human beings alone. And in that very popular sort of understanding, the spiritual realm, its influence on world affairs is completely banished shoved aside. In that understanding, there is absolutely no reckoning with the fact that devilish powers are powerfully at work doing what? Sowing discord, sowing violence, destruction, division. No, people will say no. Human beings must simply become more educated, more knowledgeable, more developed, more reasonable more evolved, and then all our problems will evaporate courtesy of our human progress. Our utopia will one day be realized. Well, of course, the most cursory look at history proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that such an understanding is bogus. The supposed steady advance in human progress orchestrated and implemented by human beings has not yet come to pass. It will not come to pass. It is a delusion. It is a mirage. To put it mildly, when we take a very hard and very sober, very sober look at our broken world today, we see no human-made utopia now or anywhere on the horizon. The question must be faced very squarely. How can people, how can people who are riddled with sin against God and who are swayed by the evil powers and authorities, how can human beings ever build the utopia that they dream of? It's an impossible prospect. I'm here to tell you. Now, should we work as Christians for social change on this earth? Should we try to bring God's word and God's justice to bear in situations of discord and injustice? Of course we should. And there's lots of good things happening across the globe right now in that very domain. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that bringing about a utopia is outside of our ability, outside of our human ability. It is God's and God's alone to one day usher in the new heaven and the new earth. And he is going to do that. In the meantime, we properly reckon, Christian friends, with the true contemporary situation. We understand that for this season of our eternal history, we are in a fight with powers 
that are far greater than any of us, but that God has given us his impenetrable armor to cause us to stand in the face of our assailant in this time before Jesus comes back to do what? To personally delete Satan and his demonic army once and for all. And we know, as Paul says in another one of his letters, that the rulers and powers we face will never, say that word with me, never be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know the end of the story that according to 1 Corinthians 15, 24, there is a day coming when the returning son of God on his white horse will finally and utterly destroy every rule, every authority, and every power, and then he will hand over the kingdom to his father. Satan and his wicked army are defeated, my friends. They are doomed. D-Day has happened in the cross and in the resurrection, and we await V-Day, final victory day when Jesus returns. And in the meantime, we are in a mop-up operation against the mortally wounded dragon and his henchmen. We wear the whole armor that God supplies. This is our reality. And our final verse this morning is verse 13, where Paul repeats the command because it's so important. He repeats again to take up the whole armor. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In verse 11, we learn that our role on the battlefield is to stand. And here again in verse 13, the goal is for us to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And please notice that phrase, in the evil day. In this lifetime, my friends, if you've lived long enough, you know what I'm talking about. We will encounter certain days that are especially fierce. When the devil and his evil army, his henchmen, attack us in a particularly intense way. There will also be days when because of great fatigue, great discouragement in our lives, we are more susceptible to enemy temptations. Or the evil day can be a day when for whatever reason we have become overconfident in our own strength and the enemy ambushes us very severely and very harshly. The evil day comes for each one of us in more ways than one. And if we have failed to take up the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the footwear, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit and prayer, all of which, Lord willing, we will talk about in more detail next Sunday. So stay tuned. But if we fail to take up the whole armor, we will simply not withstand the devil's attacks. 
We will succumb to temptation. We will believe his accusations. We will doubt God and his word. So take up the whole armor of God. Now, I've often tried to imagine what it would have been like. You're probably tired of me talking about my grandfather, but here we go again. What, what it would have been like for him to have gone over the top, age 19, out of his trench, now advancing across no man's land toward enemy lines. In World War I, Canada used a tactic called the creeping barrage for such advances. The basic idea of a creeping barrage was that your heavy artillery, your 18 pounders and your mortars would fire toward the enemy in a tremendous, very loud barrage. And that barrage would stay just ahead of your infantrymen, like my grandfather, who were running, advancing on foot closer and closer to enemy lines. So you're running along and you've got all this iron coming down in front of you. The artillery barrage would move at a rate of about 50 meters per minute, so 164 feet per minute toward the enemy lines and the infantrymen are following it. Now, would that not be terrifying? Of course it would, but I think the thing to notice there is that it was a group effort, yes? A coordinated effort on the battlefield. An individual soldier's life depended on, the, on his fellow soldiers. He depended on those guys at the rear in the artillery, and he also depended on those guys who were with them running on the battlefield in no man's land. Well, my friends, as soldiers of Jesus Christ, we depend on one another, don't we? For prayer, which is calling down artillery fire. We depend on one another on the battlefield. We depend on each other to encourage, to edify, to build up, to lift up, and to support. This Christian life is not a loner sort of effort. It is a united effort. It is a corporate effort. At the beginning of this sermon, we talked about spirit-filled David encountering no end of trouble. Well, there's that beautiful moment in 1 Samuel 23 when as David is in the wilderness, he's hiding, he's hungry, he's hiding from crazy Saul. Jonathan comes to David in that chapter and the words in scripture are to do what? To strengthen David's hand in God. Is that beautiful? When was the last time you went to a struggling fellow soldier and strengthened her hand strengthened his hand in God. We need one another, soldiers of Christ. We cannot do this alone. And if you've had that blessed experience of having somebody come to you in your moment of need and strengthen your hand in the Lord to remind you of the gospel, to encourage you in the Lord and by his word, you know how enriching and how uplifting that is. And I think because Paul uses plural verbs in the Greek, in verse 13, doesn't translate well into English. He, he uses plural verbs here. You all take up the whole armor. The church, you all. You all may be able to withstand. This has to do with a group effort. 
a whole church effort, a together effort. We are in this together, believers, and we must proactively encourage our fellow soldiers and also receive from those fellow soldiers the encouragement that they give to us. We are not lone soldiers, no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We're not lone soldiers in the battle. We are together on the battlefield, and we must stand firm together in the king's armor with the king at our head. And so the message to us this morning summarized very simply is stand firm in the strength of your God. Be encouraged, take up the whole armor, and always keep firmly in view, would you, the end of the story that is still to come when our king will appear to wage the final battle against our enemy. And that great and final chapter, I'll end with this, it's found in Revelation 19. Please stand as I read God's word to you. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. May our conquering King be praised in your life this week. Stand firm in his invincible armor. Amen. You may be seated. Father in heaven, you don't mess around in your word. You give us the pure truth undiluted. And we are so grateful and thankful for that, Lord, in a world that wants to fudge on truth and get rid of absolute truth and say that my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. Lord, there is absolute truth and you have given it, given it to us in your word. We thank you that your promises have been true, your record is perfect. We thank you that you are with us now by your spirit, by the risen Jesus Christ, and that you are coming again, Lord, to do a renovation of the cosmos. We thank you, Lord, and we are filled with hope because of you. May we go into our weeks this week with this hope burning afresh in our hearts and our minds, no matter what our situation is. And Lord, help us to be doers of this word, to take up and put on the whole armor of God. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>